Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, interesting to other people. So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions, what filming techniques speak louder than words, and what things just really don't make that much sense, in our opinions anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. So today we are going to discuss Michael Corleone. The major protagonist in The Godfather, and we're just going to focus on him in the first film. I think three would be a bit much. It's not for a 40 minute podcast, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like These films, they're, they're all over two hours long. And and really, you should, probably should have seen the film. It, it was a good weekend for us, <laughs> watching all three. It was a marathon. It was. We ate a lot of Italian food. I mean, what else can you do in lockdown? It, it was an enjoyable way of, of spending a weekend, but we are just going to focus on the first one. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if you've not seen it by this point, what are you doing? Yeah, you've had like 30 years. Come on. It, it was made in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Maths. Um... <laughs> Actor, not mathematician, okay? <laughs> 50 years. You've had 50 years. Just for clarification there. <laughs> Um, but if you would like a sum up, um, should we give people like three seconds to turn off if they've not seen the film? Yeah, not three seconds to, to sum up. Um, three three seconds if you've not seen the film. Um, yes. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go anywhere, guys. Um, so yeah, three seconds if you haven't seen the film to turn off. Three, two, one. Okay, so if you're still with us, then you've seen at least the first film. Um, we won't go on to the second and the third because that's quite a lot, wouldn't it, to fit in. So in 10 seconds, the Son of the Don takes over from his father after his father dies, and this film maps out the shaky trajectory of how he consolidates power. That was very good, Dave. Thanks. It's almost like you do this for a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm looking forward to learning more about your profession, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, this lockdown has not been good for it. <laughs> There are a few topics that we will be discussing today that some listeners might find difficult. For example, war, violence, post-traumatic stress disorder and culture. So please, you know, take care of yourselves. And if you would prefer to listen to another episode, that's fine. So we're going to start with my point today. My point. My point, because I think it's an interesting one, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I've, I've I've been sort of reading around and listening to a few arguments being made on the internet that Michael was a psychopath. I think it's an interesting idea, but I would argue that he is not. Um, I think it's actually quite likely he 
was experiencing post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's that's going to be my my main reflection from the film. I think it was it really interesting watching it maybe with that kind of lens and maybe that feeding into why he made certain decisions. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'd, I would like to spend some time reflecting on that. And I would love to hear your arguments <laughs> for or against. So first things first, what is a psychopath? Ooh, good question. Um, so arguably a psychopath is born. It's sort of like a, a genetic disposition. So we think of it as being something that's actually on a spectrum. So how how much empathy you have. So someone who is classed as a psychopath has no ability for empathy. And I don't believe that Michael fits that profile at all. However, the way that we would look at PTSD, so that is um, usually defined by the... There's a few diagnostic manuals that we use. Also, what is PTSD? That one. Ah, have I not actually... Right, this is something that a lot of people with doctor titles do, isn't it? We use an acronyms... <laughs> <laughs> and then we don't remember. We don't remember that other people don't I, know what I, they mean. I, I just have to sit there nodding. Right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Cool. That's PTSD. Well, not, not cool, but it's not. It's not cool yeah. at all. It's it's very serious. It's awful. So that's like you've had something <clears throat> bad happen to you, and then these memories keep on flooding back to you at certain moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's um, there's a few symptoms that are used to, to define when someone is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's significantly also that's different from post-traumatic stress. You can be very stressed after a traumatic event, but then it, it doesn't last for long enough. It's, it's sort of part of that natural processing of something awful. Whereas when we think of PTSD, so this being a disorder, it's something that lasts a long time and your, your body and your mind isn't able to process it and kind of put it back in its historical context enough for you to move on. So you stay stuck in this state. Right, so, you, so you're arguing that he is more a PTSD sufferer. So that's like his... He's not been able to process and put it into the, the yeah. time frame. Yeah. So you're introduced to Michael as a war hero. He... In fact, in the books, then, yeah, he's, he's like, he's won medals and, and things as well. Absolutely, you know yeah. I mean? There's um articles in Time magazine, is it? Yeah, I think you say, yeah. I think there's one. He's well decorated. He's like, very well decorated. This, this man knows what he's doing. Like, <clears throat> you, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. No, and arguably that's also not the action of a psychopath. So Michael signed up voluntarily after Pearl Harbor. So this was something where it spoke to the brave, compassionate part of him where his community had been hurt and he wanted to do something about that. I don't think that's very psychopathic. I think it could be a calculated risk to build up, I don't know, some sort of prominent status for himself. But his dad was the don of a mafia. Yeah, he sort of didn't group. really need to do that, did he? He didn't exactly. need to put his life at risk in order to... Get make... on in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But there's a few actions that, for me, in this film, 
really does reflect that. He was probably pretty traumatised from some of the things that he would have seen and done in the war. Very common to a lot of people when they came back from World War II, they didn't talk about it. And that's definitely something that's also part in this film. He's very quiet about it. He turns up to a wedding at the start in his uniform, but he never talks about the war. Well, also, I think him turning up his uniform is is a way of him saying, I'm not... Part of the this? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think that's what a big part of him not turning up in, in just like what everyone else was, in him representing that this amoral family group. He's sort of stepping away from it, isn't he? Yeah. And that that we we define PTSD with lots of different characteristics. And for me, when I was watching this film, seemed apparent were disassociation. So this is this idea of when certain emotions come up and things are too overwhelming the person will almost have an out-of-body experience. But it's a survival mechanism. It's when things are really, truly overwhelming and you step away from it and there are certain things you can see in someone's manner when they disassociate. And for me, when he sits down in the restaurant and his eyes are flickering from side to side very quickly. He when, he, looks... when he goes to kill McCluskey and Salazzo. Yes. Like yeah, when he sat down just before he stands up to shoot both of them. For me, it really looks like he is arguably disassociating. So this is something where he's, again, he's holding a gun. He knows he's about to kill people. This is going to be really reminiscent of potential experiences that he's had in the war. And arguably, as a coping mechanism, he's actually emotionally removed himself from that to be able to do that. I don't know, as you you as an actor, you might have quite a different view of when we were watching that scene, but for me, that's what that looked like. Well, no, but to me, that that disassociating thing that you're talking about was, was very much like a, he was working through... He knew this was a decision that he couldn't take back. Like, this was, this was it. It was sort of do or die from this point, rather than the the PTSD dissociating thing, but it, hey, if it works on both levels, then then it's great filmmaking. True. And I like that, hopefully, we're not just going to disagree on everything. <laughs> we, may, we have these discussions. Yeah. I think sometimes your viewpoint deepens my understanding and hopefully mine can do that yeah, too. Yeah, on watching this for the first time, it was a lot, a lot louder, these, these <laughs> discussions and... Uh, and uh, a lot more swearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay, there's also three of the other things are emotional numbness and avoidance, um, an anxiety-like need for control and security, and also hyper-arousal and suspicion of others. And I think all three of those, like, definitely throughout the film, like, Michael's character speaks to those. You've got these ideas, this emotional... He never talks about the war. He has a very stoic expression. Like, he's quite unemotional through most of this film, He's got quite an avoidant attachment style. He never shares his private thoughts and feelings. He never even shares his business with Kay, who is his wife. It just feels like he he's very shut down emotionally. I don't think that's that's the actions of a psychopath. I think that's someone who's probably got a lot of very intense emotions that can't manage them. But equally, it's it's the emotion, the way that a soldier portrays. Mm. His, his outer like being being yeah his outer being to to everyone else around him you know he oh he doesn't in fact you you don't emote as much as 
many do mm. and you would keep things very close to your chest of course his, his father says to Sonny never tell anyone outside the family what you're thinking you know and that, mm. that's that's a really important point you know after he meets uh, Salazzo initially in the meeting yeah he, he says no never tell anyone which is why you know it's another reason why Michael is Michael's the the chosen one you know mm. he, he never want the Don never wanted this life for Michael but it was sort of like he was almost written in the stars you know and in fact you know um Al Pacino in an interview says uh, that he he saw it as it was destiny that Michael was always going to end up mm. as the Dom when they were filming. That's what he was. That's what he was going with. It does feel like that way a lot of the time, and I, I wonder again. You can definitely see almost an anxiety-driven need for control in Michael, where he's very controlling of Kate and his wife. He is really hard line in terms of executing decisions. Um, he made the quick decision to to sign up and was really adamant about that even. So I think mm. it was probably part of his character anyway. But it's interesting to think about maybe this was a man trying to fight against his destiny and how probably as hard as many of us try and, and keep control. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. I am I'm formulating his character like he's a real person so what do you mean what do you mean like, like he's a real person <laughs> he's not real my <laughs> <laughs> he he's come from a strong cultural like catholic background Sicilian like. yeah 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 so I think there's a lot of influences that are coming in so that he's going to see men and women having different roles my main shock, in all fairness, is the way that the godmother is throughout this film. I think there's various times when Carmela, so the the original Don's wife, so Michael's mum, there's a few times when she really reinforces this idea of not standing up for women and not respecting them as equals. So Sonny is is not good with the ladies. Um, oh, yeah, I think he's very good with the ladies. Well, he, he's always got one exactly. On yeah, uh, I, th- I think he's very much helped by. The, apparently, in, in the book, is the size of him is is rather embellished, quite. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he he's cheating on his wife like all the time, all the time throughout this film, and also Sonny and Michael's sister Connie. She is in quite an abusive relationship with her husband and there's a point where they're all sat down to dinner and Connie's husband is quite verbally aggressive to her in front of everyone and the the boys go to defend their sister and Carmela, their mum, just tells them to stay out of it, that it's a, it's a family issue, which I found shocking. Like, actually, they're all part of an extended family, surely... But I, th- I think there's a few times when it, it's kind of family story and script around women is that they very much have a secondary role. They're not seen as equals. And I, th- I think that's a big shame. I think it's a difficult line to tread. But I, I would love to hear your your viewpoint as an actor and hear your arguments about what I viewed as a woman in 2008. 21 watching it you're you're welcome on <laughs> yeah. that one so that, thanks for dropping me in there yeah <laughs> like, let's hear your views on this <laughs> thanks oh, i got a comment Sub- you know support the the patriarchy go on dave i got to come up with some arguments now haven't i i think we have to get inside the time the culture and the place that the film is based the film is 
very heavily in based in, a, in an Italian family, which for the time is more or was more conservative than today. In this inherently patriarchal family atmosphere and dynamic, which some would argue is sexist. I think most would. <laughs> no. Um, it, it was considered at the time normal, um, and there were different things expected on you from you depending on your age, your gender, the role you had in the family. It, it, it differed depending on all those different aspects. Mm. Rather than no, you are a complete human being, you you have all these aspects, and we can use all of these. It's you have this role and you have this role. Like don't overstep the mark. Because then you're treading on each other's toes and then it's, it's a business as well. Yeah, I don't know, if you do the job of your boss, then your boss might be a little busy. So it's kind of like an ant colony. <laughs> Everyone's got their job. Yes, yes. So I, I bought Cavan an ant, co- an ant farm and now that's all you can think of. <laughs> I, I love ants. I think they're fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have been a social psychologist. <laughs> right, we'll talk about Kay. There you go. The role of Kay in the film, like she's the the strongest female character by far. Mm. She's she's American and she's not Sicilian. And at the start of the film, the educated Michael treats her as an equal. He does. So I was very disappointed about when Michael came back and he decides to re-woo Kay after, after he'd actually been back in the country quite a while, and she sort of just rolls she, over. She just goes, "Oh yes, darling." <laughs> But I, 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 again, I don't know if there's something she, uh, something about the times and her age actually that she had not married while he was away. She, she was sort of a middle-aged woman almost. Please tell me, tell me, as the the expert in this, what is it about the way that this film was written that that makes sense? Because for me, it doesn't. The key part of the film is Michael becoming the Don, and I'm not sure that it'd be completely necessary. Okay, so there isn't really room for a romance in, in a mobster film. Not really. Hmm. So yeah, Kay, right. The last shot of the film is from Kay's perspective. So she is an important character. It's just not fleshed out in the way that we'd necessarily like it to be. As her being shut out of Michael's life and the business is a long way from inviting her into the family and telling her all the things about it, which happened at the very beginning. Michael has changed and and so has the relationship also, but it's her being shut out and we see a realisation dawning on her. Yeah. And that realisation is projected onto us as well. Like, And you can see it as well. Like, So throughout the film, Kay is... She's always lit. And there's a, a big thing in the film about the shadow on like half the face or it's not fully lit mm. you can't necessarily see the eyes or you can't see a whole person's face it's like slightly cast in shadow which mm. is like the duality of person oh, of... okay that's cool yeah okay. and you can see in that moment where it dawns on her the projection to us of the oh shit this is what i got myself into like is she our way into this family essentially certainly and to mostly American audience, I'd have thought, mm. um, at the time, at least, you could relate to it and therefore mm. be like, oh, right, yeah, mm. I, I get it. I think we have to remember that movies are there to tell stories and if if the story shows others with sexist attitudes but also show them as bad people, isn't the film arguing it's the opposite? So you're saying these are bad people, so they're sexist. 
Yeah, I guess, I, I suppose I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, they shouldn't... And they sort of are glorifying... Yes, they? <laughs> they sort of are glorifying it, but they're actually not really, aren't they? It is glorifying, but it's not saying that they're good people. Mm. Like, we're very aware that they're not. Okay, I will I will take that point. Would you say it's in any way a little bit like in, say, Macbeth? Or in Hamlet, you have this tragic hero who actually does try to fight against what their fate is, but actually in the end, they're sort of they are dragged into it, and they the only to it. yeah they succumb to it. But then the their redemption is almost an acceptance and sort of finding nobility in what their fate actually was. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree. Hmm. Very astute. Thank you. I'm I'm learning too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong though I don't think he should be seen as a like a sacrificial soul for his family business he's highly intelligent he's cunning he knows exactly what he's doing no matter how he got where he did he'd be terrifying if you're on the wrong side of it mm. uh, absolutely like, mm. no question I suppose also that that idea um, maybe links in with my last sort of symptom as such that I would say that Michael's character displays um in this film is this idea of hyper arousal and suspicion so when someone right easy (laughs) but when someone has experienced something truly out of their control and truly traumatic as is possible um for someone who's clearly done that many heroic acts in what was a brutal war you come back and your body remembers that level of threat and it kind of stays there so I think a lot of his his actions do kind of speak to this idea of, of constantly needing to control, needing to check, not sleeping very well, <laughs> arguably. But I think actually that is very likely to go completely unnoticed given his position because actually being hypersensitive to threat is highly adaptive when you are controlling an unstable mafia family. So it's it's possibly something which was speaking to a deeper psychological condition, but also highly adaptive in the circumstances. Yeah, I can see it not being not being really seen because mm. it, it's it's like he's going from a war to another war, from one Threat shit circumstance to another. to another. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So maybe also that actually made him better at his his new position, or maybe it made him feel in a way, more comfortable taking it. It's kind of like, I actually know how to deal with this. I, I survived the war. I was actually highly decorated in the war. Turns out I'm good at war. Watching it as a psychologist, he's, he, his body is still very much dealing with stress and threat. Watching it as a psychologist, like what would be your, your number one place to start? <laughs> in terms of treating him? Yeah, yeah. If he came to you and he sat down and he's like, right, like, like in... Like in um, not the Godfather, but like in the like in the Sopranos. If you came in, sat down with you, and you're there with your glasses and your little like pencil skirt and things. Calm down. Uh, <laughs> like, what would be the number one thing you'd say to him? Um, I would look at his his current environment. Um, there's there's no point in trying to help someone learn how to soothe their body again. 
um, if actually they're still in a threatening threatening environment and they so, need to be in that so, state. So you'd say nothing to him? I wouldn't say, say nothing. You say, say there's nothing you can do? You're like, no. Just pay um, the 100 quid and get out? Absolutely not. Um, but he is still in a, in a dangerous environment and um, I think looking at his practical safety would be my primary concern if he was my, my client. So I want to talk about the scene before... Mikey goes to the sit down with uh, Salazzo and McCluskey, the one where he says um, that he'll that he'll kill him, and it's in this moment when he chooses the the gangster lifestyle the lifetime, chooses the gangster lifestyle rather than the, the civilian war hero one, and we can see if watch carefully he moves from the edge of the screen to the center by the end of the scene, which actually has quite a, a huge impact, and. It, the thing that I find interesting about it is that it's done through the staging, the cinematography and great performances, rather than the character shouting and yelling and wailing. And It's the calmness, for me, which is chilling. It shows how at peace he is with his decision to kill two people in cold blood. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, he has experience, of, but not two people for no legitimate reason, at least. Mm-hmm. It's quite cold. So Sonny starts the scene off by... Treating Michael as a, as a child when he comes in. You know, he inspects him after he got beaten up by McCluskey. Um, he even slaps Michael's ass after looking at his face um, and inspecting him, like, he, almost patronising. Before then starting the business of the meeting, he reveals in this that Michael's the one they want to, see, they want to see. Now, this is where it gets interesting for me. So the camera is positioned with a fraction of the screen covered with Clemenza. It's a, it's a point of view shot as if you were in the scene itself. And the whole film is shot POV. POV? Point of view. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> the whole film is shot like that. Oh, okay, yeah, there's there's one or two moments, with the, the exceptions which prove the rule, you know? One or two moments that aren't point of view, but the vast majority is done with this in mind. It puts Sonny in charge with... Everyone else backing him, especially with Tom leaving camera after he's been cornered. We go from Sonny quite obviously being in charge to a close up by the end of the scene of an unwavering Michael, like he is determined at this moment. And Sonny's quite the opposite to that kind of calmness, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fiery, he's testosterone filled womanizer. Yeah. So, right, yeah, in the scene, the, the two characters in the frame leave Michael sitting towards the background of the scene rather than like reacting to high motion which everyone else is doing. Like he crosses his legs, he's 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 out of it at that moment. You can kind of see he's he's in the edge of the screen, but the main action is is happening somewhere else. Mm. And only once they've finished arguing does he come through the floor, not through him entering the frame, but through when the camera pans across that we see Michael with Tom, who literally takes a back seat behind Michael. It's only then Sonny enters the frame making the effort to come to Michael rather than wow. Michael coming to him. This is followed by a slow zoom on Michael giving weight to him in this important moment. Uh, you know, he goes through the situation slowly but with assurance, growing confident throughout it all. He closes out the others in the scene. You're only focused on him. And when it's finally finished, the zoom on Michael beautifully times a halt. There's a moment and then he says that it'll kill them both. 
then uh, a cut to Sonny, who takes a point on. It's this moment that he realizes his little brother's leadership potential, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's gonna have to gonna have to do something about that because at the minute Sonny's one leading, and he doesn't want to be overthrown, does he? Really, um, but it's this moment that Sonny's like, oh, shit, what what can I do? And he uses this to talk down to him in response. So he's a he's a war hero. Remember, mm. like Michael Michael knows what he's doing, but Sonny still describes the process. Pretty sure Michael knows. Well, we talked about this before, didn't we? Yeah, that he sort of has no idea maybe what his brother is capable of. Yeah. He possibly actually also doesn't value it very much because it's such a different approach to his. Yeah. And because of that, he had such a great potential and this great ability, but he's he's underestimated, mm. which really goes in his favour, I think. But that's interesting how, like, actually the way that it then pans around and you can see it in it's like other people's behavior in that scene is what showed that he is actually the central point yeah because uh, it's it's tom's reaction to sunny saying yeah you know you got to get up there you got to blow the brains up all over your ivy league suit you know um and it's tom's reaction which michael realizes that if he can get tom on board then it doesn't really matter what sunny thinks hmm <laughs> But it's through that. When Michael starts to explain, then Tom listens and actually comes around to agreeing with him, doesn't he? Like Michael yeah. and Michael finalizes by belittling Sonny at the end and putting him in his place, switching the roles from the start of the scene from Sonny inspecting him mm. to Michael putting him in putting him down, putting him in his place, uh, with this, you know, it's not personal Sonny, it's strictly business. And in that scene he is larger more pronounced more powerful than he was which shows how important this scene is for the whole film it's very cool yeah yeah i really like this this scene it's obviously integral for the film integral for the the whole three-part series because we wouldn't get three parts it would probably be Half a film, a little <laughs> short film, a little passion project, you know, uh, if it wasn't for this scene. But, yeah, I, I think it's under undervalued. Hmm. Maybe in the same way that Michael was, because it's quiet, it's subtle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> what you can't see now is Kavanaugh's great big pleased look on her face. Because I made a clever point. <laughs> well done, darling. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you. Can I ask a question? Go on. If if you were going to be Al Pacino in this scene, would you have done it the same? Is there anything that you would have done differently? I guess little little reactions and responses to what's being said, but it's such a such a great performance that my overall performance would be different. Mm. So yes, there are things that I that I would change, but that would change the whole the whole character. Well, the whole not the whole character, but the whole performance would be different in the whole film. Is it is this me sort of trying to make it too simple a thing when actually like if you have a different actor, just the whole thing would be totally different anyway? Possibly. Okay. But no, I, I can see I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. If I was to change like I don't know if I was to leer at Sonny like when when he like grabs hold of my face, you know, those type mm. of things. When he was talking to Mikey. Yeah, exactly, right. Not Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, I think when you change something in a scene as crucial as this and as important as this, there's so many other things that then are altered throughout the rest of the film. So the section that we wanted to end on is what is one thing that you would change? Hmm. So mine, mine is... <laughs> mine. Mine, again. I'm very possessive, aren't I? <laughs> I went first. I, I, what would a psychologist say about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot. <laughs> I have a feel, though. Like. <laughs> um, th- but in terms of like the one thing that I would change about this film... I guess for me, because I, I do really feel that there probably are a lot of things in Michael's history in the war that is just never touched on for whatever reason. Um, and it would be really, I mean, it's not nice that he's experiencing it, but it would be nice to see something speak to that. Um, there's a moment in the film where um, it's it's that pivotal moment, that, that sort of scene um, where Michael says that he's going to, he'll he'll go to the meeting and he'll kill um, McCluskey and that other Salazzo. dude, Salazzo. Thank and, you. And the other dude. The other dude. I like it. <laughs> um, but there's there's a moment earlier on where um, Sonny kind of dismisses and sort of says like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, it's not like in the war. You know, you'll be right up close and you'll see the blood. Sonny's got no idea what he went through in the war. And it kind of it really voices that he doesn't really understand that. Because Michael shut him out, like he's never talked about it. But I, I would like to see just a flicker in Michael's eyes or a very subtle change in his expression just to show that underneath he does know. And he does get it because he has done really quite terrible or traumatic things. Something we talk about in psychology as well. It's called um, moral injury. So when you are forced into a position where you act against your moral values. And I think at some point, probably in the war, there probably was a moral injury. And it would be nice to see a moment in that interaction where... You know, there, there's there's something going on under the surface for Michael, so I that's what I would like to see. Just a little, a little moment where they chip away that veil that he's got put up, and you actually see the pain underneath. Nice. I, I thought you were going to say something like, right, I'd I'd add another scene. I was like, oh god, it's <laughs> <laughs> like two two and a half hours long. You you it doesn't need any more scenes. Something where Kay says, sod off. <laughs> <laughs> Be a very very short scene. Be, I think quite a brutal scene. Don't, don't want to see that. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I just want to see a little bit of emotion from Michael. That's what I would like. A little bit of emotion. You want to? You, <laughs> this guy won an Oscar. You want to see a little bit of emotion? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm such a fan. <laughs> if, if... <laughs> Oh, if he's listening, like I loved Scent of a Woman. It was incredible. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I've offended in any way. I'm sure he won't care. Probably not. <laughs> He'll be like, who's this person think they are? <laughs> so, uh, the thing that I'd like to change, um, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of 
Kay and Michael and their relationship as the film progresses. Um, he comes back from like a year away and bada bing, bada boom. You know, he, he's back. Um, and, and you move in like, that's pretty good going. Mm. To go from a year away to, hi honey, I'm home. <laughs> a bit like how you lived in Barcelona and I lived in England and then we just moved in together. <laughs> A bit like I us. was like, oh God, why they were stuck together? In a lockdown year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not that unrealistic. Oh, uh, actually, maybe. <laughs> well, I feel for you, Mikey, I feel for you. <laughs> it's been horrible. <laughs> see, I want to see more more of your relationship and how you dealt with it. But I'd have thought you'd, know, you'd have quite a bit more power. Oh, than you do. Yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> At least here, it sounds like we would agree then. Um, have something a bit more... A bit more human. Something to flesh out the emotion of the characters. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Well, that and I want to see more shootouts. Because <laughs> who don't love some shootouts? Great. Just got in a, a little boy comment at the end. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Guns! Woo! <laughs> I mean, that, that would be an alternative poster tagline for the film, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yay! Guns! Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Instead of... Uh, moving from, moving from uh, yeah, Mafia Don to Yay! Guns! Woo! How, if, if, you could, if you could sum it up in one phrase, what would it be? The film. Oh. If you could sell it. Gangsters, politics and spaghetti and meatballs, <laughs> probably. It's not far from mine. But I think, your boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's also amazing. All jokes aside, I think my sum up would be a sun coming of age story. Ooh, quite a nice way of thinking about it. So more like The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, if there are any films you'd like us to cover, then please write in, send an email, or a WhatsApp if if you got my number. That's weird. Maybe an Instagram. Let let's make an account for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be so good. <laughs> Maybe an Instagram account, and then you can message us on there, or or send us an email. That would be great. Yeah, um, but we will try and mix up the genres. We just thought this was a, a great one that hopefully a lot of people have seen. And we'll mix it up. I hope it's been as interesting for you guys as it's been fun to fun to make. Absolutely right. Well, thanks very much, guys. Bye. Bye.